This is Pathways to Resilience, the podcast where real people share real stories helping us build our playbook toward resilience. And now here's the host of the show, Melissa Santos. Welcome back to Pathways to Resilience. I am thrilled to have uh, my guest today, um, and I'll talk to you for a, in a minute about why this is such um, a really cool experience to get to talk to Scott Shute today. Scott is the former head of mindfulness and compassion at LinkedIn, and he is the author of the highly acclaimed, and I really think uh, up-and-coming New York Times bestseller, The Full Body Yes. We're going to talk about the book, his work. Um, so excited to have you here. Welcome, Scott. Thanks so much. And I appreciate the vote of confidence. Let's go yes. New York Times bestseller. Let's go. Let's go <laughs> New York Times bestseller. So I was sharing with Scott that um, this is one of those moments um, where when you're doing something, when you're on your purpose, and then all of a sudden things show up. And in your book, one of the things I want to talk about is like watching our lives from the outside in, because I feel like that's mm. how, yeah. when we're not doing that, that's when we can miss things like this. So um the whole point of Pathways to Resilience is that our behavioral health organization, Community Solutions, wants to bring this dialogue of trauma and resilience and mental health and mindfulness outside of just our work as therapists and social workers, mm. but into the corporate arena. Mm. And as I was telling you, Scott, I was walking up the hill on my walk one day, and there you were on the podcast that popped up, talking about how you had been the head of mindfulness and compassion at LinkedIn. And I was like, oh my gosh, if this guy can do it at LinkedIn, we can be doing it anywhere. So Hallelujah. tell us about just that. Like, tell us about <laughs> yourself and how that yeah. that title how that came happen? to be. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I have two kind of parts of my life. On the one hand, I have been, you know, over the course of almost 30 years now, an executive. And I was at LinkedIn. I was the VP of Global Customer Operations just like all the customer facing stuff that's not sales. And I had this big team, like a thousand people. It was one of those 24 by seven types of jobs. So that's part of my life. And this other part of my life is I've had a meditation or contemplation practice since I was 13. I've been teaching since I was in college and it's been a huge part of my life, but one that I never brought to work, right? It's like, keep those things separate. But I got to LinkedIn, I don't know, nine, almost 10 years ago. And it seemed like such an open place, right? It seemed like you know, we, were, we were talking about bring your whole self to work. Like, really? We really want to know who you are. And I thought, okay, cool. Well, maybe I can bring this part of me, this, you know, this practice in a secular and appropriate way uh, to work. So I started, well, at first I had a conversation with my buddy who runs Global Wellness. And we were talking about meditation. And I was asking him if we ever did anything and what we did. And he sees this look in my eyes and he's like, wait a minute, do you do something? And I'm like, uh, yeah. He's like, could you do something? Would you do something? I'm like, yeah, I, th I think I would. And we both got really excited because, you know, here's this VP going to lead a wellness program. And I went back to my desk and I did absolutely nothing about it for four months <laughs> because I was terrified. You know, I had this voice, these whatever, the inner critic in my ear that was like, wait, wait, what are you doing? Like, are you sure you can do this? Are you going to get in trouble? What are people going to think about you? What's this going to do for your brand? What are you blah, 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 blah. Horrible, right? And I finally got out of my own way 
and led one session on a Thursday afternoon in the heavenly conference room, which I thought was, you know, quite auspicious. And that first time, that first Thursday afternoon, there was one guy there. <laughs> and I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew this. <laughs> no one's going to come. See, it's weird. <laughs> and I'm sure he was just as terrified as I was. I never saw that guy again. But the next, the next week there were three and then there were five and then it turned into a regular thing and it just grew, snowballed. Over time, I got uh, invited to do bigger things because people knew I did it. I was like the meditation exec, right? So the CFO would have an offsite and invite 400 finance people and invite me to kick it off with the meditation. And it just grew and grew and grew into a thing. I raised my hand to be the executive sponsor of our mindfulness program. We didn't really have one. So created one with a bunch of other volunteers. And then like three years later, after three years of volunteering, for me, the tipping point was our CEO gave the commencement address at Wharton four years ago. And he talked about compassion, right? If you're going to be successful in life, in work, be compassionate. And he told his own kind of transformation story. And then the next day he's on TV. And this is all the reporters want to talk about is compassion in business. And I'm watching all this thinking, okay, it's, it's time. Like it's time for me yeah. in my career. I wanted to make a career change. So it's time for me, but it's also time for LinkedIn because our CEO just told 15,000 employees essentially that the most important thing they could do is be compassionate. Like, what does that even mean? What are we doing? <laughs> so I made a pitch to him and to our head of HR and with their great support created this role, um, which I had for three years called Head of Mindfulness and Compassion Programs. And my vision was to change work from the inside out and the mission is by mainstreaming mindfulness and operationalizing compassion. And that is still my vision and mission to this day. It's so powerful to think about oh, that this was already kind of your life's work. This was a natural yeah. side of your life's yeah. work. And yeah. yet a side that you didn't bring to work, which is what this is all about. Yeah. And the more we keep talking to people, the more they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, we're, we're going to go do some workshops at Roku around this, right? Like around, cool. dude, there's really big things happening right now, right? Like people are returning to the office and oh, let's, yeah. what does it really mean to really bring your whole self to work? And that that led to actually having a whole position and program designed around it is just so cool. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Really but is. also because you put yourself out there, because yeah. you said, okay, here's this invitation to bring my whole self yeah. and let me be vulnerable enough. And even though the first time only one guy showed up, that you yeah. still did it again and again and again and again. Until yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, it turns out the biggest hurdle, by far the biggest obstacle in my way in doing this now for seven or eight years uh, is me. Right. Once I got out of the way and just served, like served from a place of pure intention, not uh, to try and be hey, look at me, look at me or anything else other than to serve with really with love. Once I got out of the way, then everything just flowed like crazy. Yeah. And of course it did. Right. Yeah. And of course it did. And this idea of <laughs> talking about love and compassion in the corporate space. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, yeah, how do we, sure. what's that widget? <laughs> how do we, how do we me measure productivity on that? And yet it's at the heart of what everybody is seeking. Oh, Safety, yeah. belonging, oh, yeah. love, acceptance. The last yeah. 
the last two years, you know, pandemic and all the stuff that comes with this has shown us that people want meaning in their work. Mm-hmm. You know, they want their work to matter, which mm-hmm. the deeper way of saying it is they want their lives to matter. Mm-hmm. You know, nine out of 10 people say that they would work for less money if they had more meaning. You know, they'd work so much harder. 40% say they'd work so much harder for a boss that shows them empathy. Like in the last couple of years, I asked people, okay, well, what's most important to you? And it's simplified things, right? All of these distractions get super simple. And it's one of two things. It's either my health or my connections, you know, with each other and people mm-hmm. you connect with people at work too. And so you put all that together and we, each of us is yearning to connect to something bigger. Mm-hmm. Whether, you know, and everybody has a different interpretation of what that means to them. But it's all this deep, deep seated yearning, like this fundamental human response of, I want more from life than just a paycheck. And of course, there's some seasons of life where you got to have a paycheck, but you want the time you spend getting that paycheck to be more. There's a, there's so many, but there's a a quote that actually you have standing out on a page that says life happens. It's up to us to decide how we'll respond to it. Our happiness is based on that response. That's right. That's right. It's not the the hand that we've been dealt. It's how we play the hand. Um, And I love that. It's so hard, though. Everything I talk about in the book is super easy, right? There's nothing complicated. There's not a lot that's new other than it's my stories of being new. But it's so hard to put into practice, right? So one of my favorite stories, I I think I might've mentioned in the book, I can't remember, is in the 60s, you know, John F. Kennedy in the early 60s said, hey, by the end of the decade, we're going to put a man on the moon. Mm -hmm. And even the people at NASA were like, wait, wait, what? (laughs) I was just, uh, okay. I don't know if anybody told you, we don't know how to do this yet. Right. But anyway, it was an exciting time, right? They're all trying to figure it out. And during that time, he goes to visit Cape Canaveral and he's taking a tour, you know, kind of trying to fire up the troops. And um, he comes across a janitor. And this guy's just doing his daily whatever, sweeping the floors or mopping or whatever. And the president asks him, hey, you know, what are you doing? And the janitor has this big smile and he beams. He says, I'm helping put a man on the moon. That's great. Right? Yeah. Now, each one of us has a choice every day, every day in how we are responding to life. That same guy could have been, oh, they put me over here in the corner and I have to sweep Mm -hmm. all day and I don't get to work on the rockets. And, you know, he could have been griping and complaining all day. But instead he's like, no, I am in service of something bigger. So each one of us has that choice. I love that you put it in that perspective because I, as a leader, I always... I have always found it really important to ensure that every person that I'm leading on any team really knows their value and their connection yeah. to the strategic priorities or the organizational mission. Yeah. So that's important, yeah. but it's also our individual choice of whether it's, or not we see that connection. That's true. Cause not all of us are working at a company that is putting a man on the moon or whatever the exciting thing of the time is. What if, what if your organization's not doing that for you? Right. Right. And all they talk about is money and all they talk about is productivity and all they talk about is efficiency. And you feel, well, it's still our choice. And it's choice in a couple of ways. One is you can vote with your feet and find a different place to work. 
But two is no matter where we are, we can choose to be our best in that moment. Which brings me to another of my favorite examples is Brother Lawrence. And I don't know a ton about Brother Lawrence. He was a, a French monk in the 1600s, but he's famous for, for you know, his pithy little quotes. And for 40 years, Brother Lawrence worked in the kitchen, right? Think about this here in a monastery. He's the guy peeling potatoes, mm -hmm. cleaning the dishes. And like, this is not sexy work. Right. You know, this, nobody's given him those attaboys for the awesome potatoes that he peeled. Like, it's hard. And he says that for the first 10 years, it was, it was like punishment. Like it was a form of hell, you know, and he really, really struggled as many of us would. But something shifted and he started to see it as his opportunity to commune with the divine, right? Mm. Now, if you're not spiritually bent, just think of it like it's our opportunity to be at our best. Mm -hmm. It's our opportunity to express joy. Regardless of what our role is, even if we're peeling potatoes 12 hours a day, you can use it as a chance to be fully present. You can use it as the chance to express that inner joy. And if none of that works, then go get a different job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it comes, it starts with us. It starts with well, the inside that's out. That's the inside out, right? That's yeah. so when you say change it, you started with changing the work. Now it's really changing the world, right? Yeah. From the inside out. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I mean, exactly that, right? Yeah. So it personally, how it works for me is, you know, I've spent my whole life, whatever, 30, 40 years of adulthood, opening a newspaper or a news browser and being, you know, oftentimes disgusted or horrified or whatever at the events of the world. And, you know, it comes and goes, but it's always kind of the same. The, these conflicts are always there. The division is always there. It's super heightened right now because we're on a, you know, mm -hmm. the news and media cycle is so heightened, but it's always been there, you know, and part of me thinks, oh, wow, I should really quit my job and go try to fix one of these big problems, right? Whether it's the environment or politics or the school systems or, you know, pick, pick one. Right, right. But the truth is, you know, our... I believe, this is my belief, our job, our biggest role in this world is to develop ourselves, right? And when we develop ourselves, then the actions become more clear of how we can serve. And I, I think of this as the doing and the being, mm. right? We're, as humans, we're almost 99.9% .9 focused on the doing. Mm -hmm. Here's my action list, or uh -huh. I'm going to go save the environment. Here's the 22 things I'm going to do. It's do, 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 right? But actually, without the being, there's no good doing to have, right? So as we develop ourselves, as we, let's say, raise our consciousness, then the actions, the doing we take becomes more of service all the time. It becomes less about me and more about we. And it becomes mm -hmm. more about how I can serve with my unique skill set versus just chasing a problem and trying to apply whatever skills I have. Mm -hmm. And maybe that unique skill set is whatever. It's whatever you are. It could be a potato peeler inside a monastery. It could be the president. It could be anything in between. Yeah, it's, well, again, when you were saying we're doing, 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 I think, and we then we go to achieving, 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 and that it's got to yeah. be this big thing, right? It's got to be. Yeah. And, and yet, 
just like our ecosystem or, yeah. you know, the food chain, any of those things. It takes every little piece to make it That's right. work. That's right. Big and little. Yeah. And we're, we're the only ones that defined what was big and what's little, right? We That's made right. that up as humans. <laughs> we're, I call this the journey of from me to we. Right? Mm-hmm. And that was originally the working title of the book, From Me to We. And I think of it like this, you know, I'll speak for myself, but probably a lot of us are like this. When I was 16, it was all about me, 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 me. And I was developing in school, you know, I was doing well in school and doing well in sports. And and all of that was in service of my own good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, the award I was going to win or where I was going to go to college and eventually what job I was going to have and then how well I did in that job. And that's kind of natural, right? We're all kind of trying to figure it out and find our way. But over time, life, taught me better in a way in that over time I got married, I had kids, I became a manager and then a leader and then a more senior leader. And it became really apparent over time. It's like, oh, I'm not going to be happy at home unless my partner and my kids are happy at home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be successful at work unless my team is successful at work. Uh, and you realize like, oh, actually, I got this all wrong. Or it's evolved. And the evolution is, I, I still want to develop myself. I still want to do as do. I still want to be as best as I can. But now it's more in service of the whole instead of just of my own good. And that was, I think, yeah. yeah. That actually, so that we, capital we, was also part of the conversations in building these conversations around that when we think of stress or trauma or and resilience, as we're talking about, that it's not an us and them. It's not a, you know, we, our organization, you hear a lot of the stories of the clients that we serve because they don't have as much resource as others do, right? And so their stories, they come to organizations like ours. And yet... I heard Brene Brown say the other day that she has not come across one human being that she's talked to that doesn't have a story that will bring you to your knees. Yeah. That we all have that we it, it's if there's a we in this. There's a we in the wellness of it and there's also a we in the vulnerability of it and connecting mm. our human experiences and yes mm. acknowledging our differences and privilege and all of those things but truly connecting as part of a we I think is such a powerful an important piece of healing yes, and, and of being human <laughs> coming yes. together for the greater good. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's really interesting science to back up the stories, right? And, and what you know already is that you feel closer to people you identify with. Uh-huh. And we feel separate from people we don't identify with. And this is evolution, right? In a resource scarce environment, thousands of years ago, we lived in a little, whatever village, and we protected our own and we repelled the ones that weren't our own. So Dr. Eagleman at Stanford, he's a neuroscientist and he has a TV show that's super interesting. They did this study where they put people in an MRI machine or uh, maybe a CAT scan. Anyway, they were looking at their brain, right? Uh-huh. And so you imagine you're lying horizontally and these guys are looking at your brain and all the stuff that's going on. Well, the, the participants are watching a video. And the video in the case A is you see a human hand, a left hand, and then out of the corner of the screen comes this giant syringe needle and punctures, you know, the meaty part of the hand between the thumb and the forefinger. And what happens is the people are like, ah, 
you know, if like you're watching a movie, you, you react to it. And so the brain lights up, the pain matrix in the brain lights up. All right. That's that makes sense. You know, it makes sense. Like when you're watching a scary movie, this is what mm -hmm. happens. Okay. In the second one, now it gets interesting. They put labels on these hands. You know, they've got different skin tones and other things, but they put a label and the labels are Christian, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, Scientologist, Jewish, right? And now same deal. Big needle comes and pokes the hand. Now, generally what happens is if that person on the video is from your in-group, your pain matrix lights up. But if they're from your out-group, flatline. Wow. It's like, whoa, this is wow. scary. Yeah, it is. This is what's going on <sighs> in the world. And forget yeah. about religion. It's just whoever you identify with. Right. It could be, you know, Dodgers versus Giants or X right. versus Y. It doesn't, but this is what happens. It's like we start identifying with some group, with some tribe, and then we feel compassion for people within our group and everybody that's outside of our group, or especially if they're viewed as the opposite of us, we start to feel the opposite of compassion, mm -hmm. lack of compassion. And that is frightening. Incredibly frightening. Well, and speaking of the brain, you brought so much of that into the book as well. Um, we call it trauma-informed care on the behavioral health side, but you spoke about it, about how those tribes and those little villages, it was survival. Yeah. And our brains still have that survival instinct. Yeah. And when we're stuck there, right? Yeah. I mean, is that where some of the inside work starts? Absolutely. So we, I, I, I like to think, I don't like to think it's true. We are animals. We are mammals. Uh-huh. Right? We, we'd like to think that we're not, but this is how we're conditioned. You could say wired, except I don't think that's true. We can rewire ourselves. Mm -hmm. So this is mm -hmm. how we're programmed. We are programmed as animals, everything from our fight or flight to our negativity bias to just the way we interact. And so it starts by realizing that you're an animal and that all of your systems are designed to keep you alive. Okay, think about that for a second. Nobody said anything about happy right. or fulfilled or pleasant to be around. Right. It's just alive. And that is a low bar. Yeah. You, you've been around people that that was a low bar. They were alive. Right, right. But yeah, surviving is not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So to get to this level where we're thriving mentally and emotionally and physically takes more than just, you know, what we've always done for hundreds of thousands of years. It takes things like, okay, you got to reframe, you know, like the, like the janitor talking about, he's putting a man on the moon. He's not just sweeping. He's putting a man on, that's reframing. This is, this is the work. And it all starts from the inside out. If we, if we really want to change the world, if we want to change our work, if we want to change anything, it starts with us. Yeah, it, it really does. And it starts with, it's that whole self, it's like self-awareness. And a lot of people, where, where does that even start? Where, how do I go inward? How do you go inward? How, how do you go? What do you, what do you say to people? <laughs> What do you mean go inward? <laughs> uh, well, that's, yeah, I, I always try to meet people where they are, uh -huh. right? Because uh -huh. everybody probably has a practice already of some sort. Most people are not completely unaware. And so you start asking like, well, how do you know about yourself, right? And it could be, 
you could say things like, have you, have you ever tried to be an observer to your own thoughts? Right. Or do you have a meditation or a spiritual practice where you literally go within, right? If you, if you have a belief system, like, do you have a conversation with the divine, whatever that looks like to you, or, you know, if you're out fishing and it's quiet, you know, how does that feel? And in that moment, can you see moments where maybe you were not at your best? So whatever somebody's orientation is towards their view of the world, it's starting with this idea of just try to be an observer. Instead of being in the chaos, in the middle of the snow globe with all the snow, mm -hmm. just put the snow globe down and let it settle. And when it settles, there's clarity. And in that clarity, you can start to see who you really are. I love that analogy. It makes me want to do a workshop of everybody making a snow globe. <laughs> you say this, it's um, it's on page 17, the know your own story in the book. It says, we know when we know ourselves, we can see our own story clearly as if viewed from the outside. Yeah. And I, I think that, well, I know for me that when I'm really, when I know I'm in a good alignment and I'm doing, you know, I'm in the flow. Yeah. I can see all those little serendipitous moments coming together. Sure. Like, like Scott shoots going to be on the podcast. And I was listening to Scott. Like, that's really cool, yeah. man. Yeah. When I'm not, when I'm out of alignment or disconnected from myself, all those mm. things still happen. That's right. But I miss them. That's right. right? Yeah. It's like, uh, I think of it like, a, and you know, the old timey radio, not that old timey, but remember you'd turn the dial and the little red thing would move across the numbers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you'd be in tune uh, with the radio station. And then, mm -hmm. boom, you'd be out of tune. Well, that radio station is still being broadcast. Mm -hmm. It's just that we couldn't hear it. We weren't mm -hmm. in tune to hear it. And I think that the more we practice, the more we go within, the more we're in tune with ourselves, like that zone where you can turn into it is so wide. Yeah, You can dial back and forth your little red dial and you're still in tune. But when we don't do it, it's almost impossible to find. And then you, start, is, yeah. then you start to believe that it doesn't exist. Uh -huh. Like, what uh -huh. are these other people talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And what's wrong with me? What's yeah. wrong with me that, th that these people just, like, pay attention to their breath and some things are working right. out for them and I right. can't, right? right? Which is that whole, can be that trauma response to things, right? right. Mm. Uh, and so I was almost, it, really, it took my breath away when I came. First of all, I love how you start the book saying, so I'm going to tell you all these things. I'm really excited to tell you all these things I learned. And if you really don't care about all the personal stories, just jump to the end where I get to the summary because it's still worth reading that, which I just, I appreciated the humor in that. Uh -huh. um, but when you get to, um, when the universe sends you joy, mm -hmm. um, stop me in my tracks for a couple of reasons. But one of them was I was at, and I had, I shared this in an episode at a real, a low point in my life, out of alignment, knew where, that knew where alignment and center was, but was was not there. Was looking at everybody around me going, how are you there? Um, leaving an abusive relationship mm. and pregnant mm. and, um, and going, Ugh. and I sat with my daughter. I had, I had an eight-year-old at the time and said, we were talking about what her little sister's name was going to be. And she asked me if she could pick the middle name. And I was really worried it was going to be like sparkles or glitter, or like, right? Like I want to empower her. And I said, well, what do you think it should be? And she said, joy. Mm. I think it should be joy because we're so glad she's coming. 
Yeah. And as I read, and I want you to tell us a little bit about that, but as I read about the universe sending you joy, that's exactly how I feel about my joy. Awesome. Um, is that in this most, in just one of those low points in life, one of those moments of contrast that you can only go up from here kind of thing, yeah. the universe, this, what I call, the sent me joy. And she yeah. had absolutely had changed, her coming changed energetically and physically and everything, the entire trajectory of my life in getting back in alignment. Yeah, yeah. I love that. But I had to be able to see things from the outside in to be able to really see it. Yeah. yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about? Sure. I was, I was in it, right? I was in a moment in time that was just not what I wanted. And I was struggling. And I was trying to find that dial on the radio and it was not working. And I was sure, I was asking all these questions about the universe and I, I felt like I was not getting the answer, but also I felt like, oh my God, probably you're giving me the answer. I'm just not seeing it. Mm -hmm. And so then I was frustrated with myself, blah, blah. It was like the downward spiral. And I was out with my family. We were doing something and they were shopping and I didn't want to. So I'm just stumbling <laughs> along. You, know? you said, I didn't even care about the boba. I didn't care about the exactly. false. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> exactly. You know, the pretzels were warm in the wind. I didn't care. Right. I couldn't no, smell I guess. them. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, right. I'm too in my own head. Uh -huh. And I saw this um, and I'd thrown up my hands. I'm like, I need help. Like, send, come on. I am ready. Send me help. Uh, and this had been going on for a little while, but on this particular day, I saw this, this little, I wanted to sit. I was so in my head. I just needed to sit down. I couldn't walk anymore. And there was this little bench, like a tiny little bench that was fit for two people. And it had a little, you know, armrest in between. Mm -hmm. And there was already somebody sitting in one half, but on first glance, I wasn't paying a lot of attention. I thought it was like a 12 year old boy. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, he's not going to care if I sit next to him. I'm not going to be whatever. I'm going to sit down. And so I sit down and I'm kind of like tilting my head back up to the sky. It's, just, you know, kind of sunny outside. And I hear this voice and it was turned out to be a young woman. It wasn't a little boy. It was like a 20 year old woman. Um, and she turns to me and she says, Hey, like this real bright, you know, like, Hey, what's going on? I'm like, and I look at her <laughs> and have like kind of woken up from my sleep, you know, and she has these really sparkly eyes. I'm like, oh, hey, you know, just like whatever response. And she's like, what's your name? I'm like, oh, I'm Scott. What's yours? She goes, I'm Joy. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, and it was like the universe smacked me. Uh -huh. like, and I looked at her again, right? And I, I'm starting to catch on to the game. I looked uh -huh. at her again at her sparkly eyes and I said, well, of course you are. Yeah, of course. Duh. She yeah. laughed and uh -huh. I laughed. Uh-huh. And we had about 10 more seconds of conversation. And I said, you know what, Joy? I've been asking for help. And here's the question I'm asking the universe. I'd like your opinion on this. And I asked her the same question that I had been struggling with all you know, for time. And she had an answer that fit. You know, and we had this, we ended up having this long conversation and it turned out I had something to give her as well. Mm -hmm. I had answers mm -hmm. that she had been looking for. And so this was not just a one-way street, but but in this moment, I felt so held, mm. so held by the universe. It's like, oh, no matter what, no matter how far off the path I feel like I am, you know, with, with this belief that it works like this, whatever you want to call that, it's easy enough where it's possible to get back on. 
Mm-hmm. Mm. So powerful. So powerful. <laughs> and I, I could just picture you looking over like, of course your name is Joy. And of course mm-hmm. this is, of course you're sitting on this bench right now. And it was like the, it was like you needed that snow globe, like whacked over your head. Like, dude, yeah. it's all yeah. right here. But right. where? Right here That's on right. this bench. That's right. I think, you know, one of my other beliefs is that the door opens inward. Mm. Right. We are often looking for an answer outside of ourselves. In this case, I was too. Mm-hmm. I needed joy on, but the truth is the door opens inward. Like we all have everything we need inside of us. If we just believe that and allow that to happen, you know, and, and sometimes we are oftentimes we are supported by everything else around us as well. Mm-hmm. And the fact, as you mentioned, that it's almost always a two-way street, right? That's what yeah. human connection is. Almost always a two-way street that we're, we're giving to when we're giving our full selves when we've done that work or alignment within and we're giving our best selves um and we're getting that back from others always two-way street why how did you see this becoming or being useful why is this so important in leadership why why is this just as important as knowing how to like run a meeting and Mm. knowing finances and why is this important this 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 work of going in in order to bring our best selves out. Yeah. I think almost everything about our development starts with self-awareness. And then being able to serve others starts with awareness of others. Right? I define compassion as this. It's a capacity, right? Because our capacity ebbs and flows day by day, minute by minute, of capacity of three things. The first one is the ability to be aware of others. And second is a mindset of wishing the best for them. And then the third is the courage to take action. Mm-hmm. And you think about all the great things a leader could do with this courage to take action, is having a mindset of wishing the best for everybody. But it starts with being aware of them. Mm-hmm. And all of that starts with us being aware of ourselves. Right when I first set off to write this book, okay, here I was, the head of mindfulness and compassion. I'm like, oh, I should totally write a book about how to be compassionate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was thinking, well, what I realized was being compassionate is 99% about getting out of my own way and dealing with my own mess, right? Yeah. My own development, right? Because if I'm totally focused on my own mess, it's pretty hard for me to help somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it starts with self-awareness. That awareness leads us to awareness of others. And from there, we can really be of service. Yeah. Scott, how would you define resilience? Mm. That's a good, I don't know that I've ever defined it, but what I think about it is the old saying about it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how you get back up. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, mm-hmm. what, that's the image that comes to mind, you know, of, of Rocky whatever, back in 1976, mm-hmm. whenever the first Rocky was, of just getting up, right? No, no matter what was going on in life, of just getting up. Um, and this idea that it's not the hand that I'm dealt, it's how I'm going to play this hand. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and moving from victim to player, right? For me, the ultimate, I think we're on this, again, this evolution. We start with this kind of victim consciousness, like life is happening to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm stuck, you know, sweeping the floors here while everybody mm-hmm. else is working on rockets. Mm-hmm. 
And then eventually, you know, I think the next step is life is happening for me. And whether you believe this is the way the world works or not, just think of it as a powerful principle to operate your life. Like if, what if every lesson, what if I treated it as an opportunity of growth? And when I do both of those things, then I think I can really become what I call a coworker or a co-creator with life. And then life happens through me, right? Life happens through me, which means I can really be of service to the broader we, including me. Mm-hmm. We're, we're the conduit through which yeah. all of our skills and passions and talents. And That's I right. think of the, I get that visual of cleaning up the mess because if it's yeah. not cleaned up, stuff can't flow. Right. Yeah, we had a, we had a guest, uh, Dr. Cece Weaver was on a few episodes ago and she talked about self-care, self-awareness, mm. being like taking care of our light, that we're lanterns. And if we don't mm. take care of it, our light That's doesn't right. shine as brightly as it could. And that the That's world right. needs our brightest light That's for right. each other. Right. Yeah. You know, people will tell me like at work, it's like, hey, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this self-care. I'm like, okay. I thought you wanted to get a lot done. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. why I don't have time for it. Okay. Well, imagine you're like a battery, like a rechargeable battery. And every day you deplete to zero. And maybe you sleep at night and you grow back up to 40%. But you're not getting to 100%. Right. Unless you're doing all the self-care stuff. So if mm-hmm. you want to get more, even like I'm not, this is not why I do this work. But if someone's in this mode, like they want to get more done, I'm like, then do more of the inner work. Mm-hmm. It's hard for people to swallow, slow down yeah. in order to speed up, slow yeah. down. It's hard because we're in a very fast paced. Yeah. We are do-do. addicted to the doing and yeah. we have very little idea of how to the being part. Be, just the being. So what are you doing now, Scott? <laughs> well, I left LinkedIn uh, in last year in 2021. Uh-huh. I wrote this book, you know, I'm out in the world and I, I really you know, I was kind of driven. I wanted my audience to be bigger than the 15,000 people of LinkedIn. I really, mm-hmm. and my mission is to change work from the inside out. Uh-huh. I mean, we're 3.5 billion of us. Yeah. And so it's one of those goals that you can never really attain, but like, this is, this is my life's work. And so I'm out in the world, I'm doing speaking, I'm doing executive coaching, I'm doing consulting on culture. Um, and I'm building a product kind of like a video series for managers to go with their teams and build kind of conscious teams and psychological safe, psychologically safe teams. Very cool. Starting there. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing this to the world, your brightness. Um, This has been such a fun conversation. Thanks for the gift of your book. Uh, Because sometimes we have all those ideas, but then that's its own stopping, pausing and being right. Just to create that. Yeah, that was a whole less a whole set of lessons, just the journey of writing it and then trying to let go of it, you know, because there's yeah. a commercial aspect as well. Yeah. And yeah. so the the writing it what the writing of it was the most important thing by far. Yeah. And yeah. you know, if Oprah calls someday to hang she out will. and talk about yeah. the book, then I won't turn that down. Yeah. If she calls though, <laughs> I have to come with you because I mean okay. I'll just carry your bags. That's it. Because <laughs> that's what this is all about me and Oprah like we're, yeah uh, uh, anyway good. well thanks for your time Scott it was really an absolute joy to talk with you and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon my pleasure see you okay oh that was fun the energy that just came flooding through 
the microphone from Scott being so on his purpose and his passion um, was palpable. Uh, really good conversation. Really cool stuff. Really great book. The Full Body Yes. Change Your Work and Your World from the Inside Out. It's available on Amazon um, and I'm sure in wherever books are sold. Highly recommend it. And in the reflection, I've actually, because I've been doing so much reflection as, as I've been reading through the book, but I love this analogy of the monk. And so thinking about your role at work, in your family, and thinking about where are the spaces where you might be feeling like things are happening to you? Everyone always treats me this way. I wish X, Y, Z, so-and-so would stop looking at me in that way. They won't give me this opportunity. That makes, that's what we talk, we mean when we say that looking at life from the perspective of it happening to us, right? That the control and the power is in the hands of other people and we're just at the mercy of whatever they're going to do. So where might you feel stuck in those things? Like if the, if someone else would just do something different, then you'd be happier, more fulfilled, more successful. And thinking about how to reframe that. Like the monk who went from, you know, peeling the potatoes and feeling upset about it, not fulfilled by it, to shifting to feeling really of service and in connection of the janitor who was helping to put a man on the moon because he was cleaning the offices at NASA. You know, what is, where's your power in that, in those situations, thinking about that. And I just also loved this um, analogy of the snow globe. And truly, when we are in it, when we are in the stress of things, so much of that happening right now in the return to work. So many of us trying to reimagine ourselves once again as the world shifts back to more in-person things and just another big shift. And when we're in it, when we're in the middle of all that snow, it's really hard to see our way out. And it can also be hard to see all the good things around us. And so taking that shift to breathing and looking from the outside of the snow globe in, what all else is in that scene? So yeah, there's some things that feel really stressful. And in other parts of my life, there's joy, there's happiness, there's fulfillment, thinking about it in that way. I love those tips for the playbook this month. Thanks again to Scott Shute. Once again, this podcast is in support of the work of Community Solutions. Thanks for listening and tune in next time. Thanks for listening to Pathways to Resilience, an initiative of Community Solutions. 
For more information, please visit our website, www.communitysolutions.org.